This is lesson nine. Last time we started to look at the trumpet calls of God. And we looked at the first four of those calls and we found there were similarities between these calls and the events and the plagues of the Exodus. And I want to review quickly the first trumpets before we move on. And before I do that, I want to bring out something that will be hard to believe. You know, because we're reading of all the horror of these events that are happening of these trumpet calls. And the next three are even going to be worse. And what I want you to understand is that what we're seeing through all of this is the mercy of God as he establishes his rule on earth. In the book of Exodus, God speaks to Moses and he describes himself in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 and 7. He tells us about himself. Adonai passed before him and proclaimed, Adonai, Adonai, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness and truth, showing mercy to a thousand generations, forgiving the iniquity and transgression and sin, yet by no means leaving the guilty unpunished but bringing the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And so God is a merciful God and he's showing his mercy to his creation. And when you read the destruction that we focused on last week and as we move on today with the death and these next trumpet calls they bring about, I know that you're going to think, really Stan, how can this be the mercy of God? Well, let me say, we do see the mercy in these events in his desire that all should be saved out of the destruction that's coming. Yeshua told us that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It didn't say that God so loved Israel. He didn't say that God so loved the righteous. He said he loved the world. He loved the world filled with those who had fallen short of the glory of God. He loved the world filled with sinners. And the word for world there is cosmos. And it means the inhabitants of the earth. Men, the human family. The Holy One loves the human family, all of humanity. And Paul told us this in 1 Timothy chapter 2. He said, He desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. Yeshua told us that he came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. However, we should understand that he died for all men to be saved and that all men would come to the knowledge of truth. The truth is that Adonai is the only true God and that his kingdom and his ways are going to prevail in the end. And what we see in these trumpet calls is the reality of those words. He's calling for all humanity that he loves to awaken, turn to his Messiah, that they might be saved. Sadly, we'll jump ahead a little bit. At the end of these first trumpet calls, it says this, and they did not repent and turn away from their murders, their sorceries, or their sexual immorality, or their stealing. With these words, I want you to understand that Adonai and Yeshua are grieved. And with that grief, he's not giving all men a chance to repent of their evil deeds. And so I want you to be sure as we go through these things that you see the mercy and the compassion of God in what's going on. That you see his love for those who turn to him. And because of that love, he tells us that he by no means leaves the guilty unpunished either. After all, that's going to happen in these trumpet calls. He's not, going to, he's not going to leave the unrighteous. He's going to remove those who don't turn so that Yeshua's reign will be one of shalom. And with that understanding, let's review those trumpet calls. So these trumpet calls are much the same as what we saw in the Exodus. And the first of those similarities is the reason they're being poured out. The first Exodus 
happened because God's people were crying out to God under the oppression and the slavery. And he came down to answer their cries. The trumpet calls that are being sounded are because of the prayers of the righteous having risen to God over 6,000 years. And those prayers are pictured for us in the incense, in the censer that's being hurled to the earth. We're reading of the answer to those prayers. They signal the rule of God and the authority of God being hurled into the earth and the trumpet calls begin. And these trumpets are the answer to those prayers of the righteous. They have been praying for the Messiah. They've been praying for the kingdom of God to return to the earth. They have also been praying for the salvation of the lost. And this is what God is doing with these trumpet calls. He's calling to the lost to repent. The trumpets are because of his mercy and his compassion. He's trying a final wake-up call to the sinners of the world, pleading with them to repent because the time is short. And just as in Egypt, the plagues were an attempt to get Egypt to repent and let Israel go. And not just that, though, because he wanted to convince some to leave Egypt with Israel. And we'll read about them later in the Torah. There are what the Torah calls a mixed multitude that went out of Egypt with the children of Israel. And we see the mercy of God in that in these first four calls are not going to affect man directly, but they're going to cause the people of the earth a great discomfort. And again, the reason is simple. He's trying to get them to turn to him. God knows that sinners don't turn to him until a time of trouble. You may have noted when there's trouble in the world, people turn to God. They start praying to God. They start to seek God. And so he brings trouble in the form of these trumpet blasts to trouble the earth. And we're told this in Hosea. And this is the reason he does this. Hosea 5 verse 13, he says, And they will seek my face in their misery. Will they earnestly seek me? And so the first four trumpet calls are designed to do exactly that, to cause misery. And now the trumpet calls themselves take us back to the Exodus because they had similar plagues as well. And the first trumpet call was hail and it destroyed a third of the earth's greenery. Imagine, it, that takes us back to the Exodus because there was hail that destroyed the crops in Egypt. And so with the first of these calls, we're going to see that famine on a scale that we haven't seen before. You know, many parts of the world today are suffering famine. But this is going to be a famine on a scale that will cause men to seek God. The second call, a large mountain is thrown into the sea and a third of the sea is turned to blood. And again, we see the Exodus imagery here where the Nile is turned to blood and the fish in the Nile die. Not just the fish in the Nile, but even the water and the jugs of the people in their homes turned to blood. And the same thing here, we have blood as it was in the first exodus, and the result is the same, the death in the oceans, again contributing to hunger and misery. The third trumpet call, all the waters of the earth are turned bitter. And again, we see this imagery because the waters were rendered undrinkable in Egypt again. And so we're going to see a third of the water of the world become contaminated. And so not only is there going to be famine, but water is going to be scarce as well. The fourth call brings darkness over the land. And the third of the earth is without light. Again, taking us back to the Exodus where 
In Egypt, they sat in darkness. Any number of things could bring this to pass. And if we were futurists, if I was a futurist, we could reason that this would be due to some natural disaster, nuclear war. Many things can turn the sky dark, volcanoes, or in the case of Egypt, it could just be God. And that's what I believe. It's just God. Something uh, we all should understand. We don't have to know what causes these things other than it's God. And what we need to understand is the mercy and the compassion of our God. Sadly, many try to understand the causes for the water turning bitter. Maybe it's a meteor or maybe there's an atomic war or bomb. And in doing so, what we really do is we fail to see the mercy and the compassion of God in these events. I don't care about what causes them. I care about the mercy of God calling to people to repent. And there's nothing in the text that gives us a time frame for these events, these trumpet calls. We just don't know the cause. You can listen to all the futurists you care to listen to, but really, they don't know. They're just speculating. You're not going to know until they're sounded. It's all speculation, and I'll tell you what I believe. I believe that it's God going to do these things. And the cause is unknown because it's God bringing these things about. And I'll tell you why I believe that when we get to chapter 11, and I think you'll agree. Now we come to the fifth seal, or the fifth trumpet call, and things are going to change in that the plagues so far have not involved death of people, at least not directly, according to the text. Not that there won't be some people die from these disasters, but they're not directed against people, but against the earth, the sea, the water, to cause people to hunger, to thirst, causing them discomfort, despair, in order to get them to turn to God. However, thus far, those disasters did not bring about the repentance that God is after. And so with the fifth trumpet call, men are going to be directly affected, made to suffer directly with each of the plagues. Let's go to chapter 9, verse 1. And the fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss, and when he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it, like the smoke of a gigantic furnace. So I want to read to you from Stern's commentary because I agree with his assessment of this event. And we have three main elements of this event. We have the star, we have the key, and we have the abyss. And let's look at the star from David Stern's commentary. The star is not Satan, but an angel who still has the key. The abyss is not Sheol, as in Romans 10, 7, but a place where demonic beings are imprisoned. The abyss in Hebrew would be the word tahom, and it means deep, a subterranean water supply, a deep place of depth. It's a pit. It's a deep pit, and it's the place where demons are consigned, and we see this in Yeshua's ministry. He tells us in Luke chapter 8, verse 29, for Yeshua commanded the defiling spirit to come out of the man. For many times it had seized him so that even though he was restrained and bound with chains and shackles, he would break the chains and be driven by demons into the desert. Yeshua questioned him, what is your name? Legion, he said, for we are many demons had entered him. They kept begging him not to command them to depart into the abyss. 
And so this abyss is not a nice place. Not even the demons want to be there. They don't want to be in this place. And so we see the abyss spoken of in chapter 20 of Revelation as well. And it says this. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the abyss and a great chain. And he sees the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil, and Hasatan, or the adversary, and bound him for a thousand years. He also threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. Okay, so... Again, it's a place where the demons are kept. It's a place where not just the demons, but also Hasatan, the adversary of God, is going to be bound for a thousand years. And I want to read from an apocalyptic writing next, the Prayer of Manasseh. It was written in the first century, and it talks about the abyss as well. O Lord, God of our fathers, God of Abraham, God of Isaac and Jacob, and their righteous offspring, who made the heaven and the earth with all their beauty, who bound the sea and established it by the command of his word, he who closed the abyss, the bottomless pit, and sealed it by his power and glorious name, you whom all things fear and tremble before your power. Okay, so this is where the demons are in prison, and this angel with the keys to the abyss is going to release the demons into the world. Remember, we have been told previously that God has limited the evil in the world. He's constrained the evil one. They're still limited in what they're able to do, but at this time, it's going to happen in a much more dramatic fashion because a third of mankind is going to be killed in a very short period of time. Hasatan and the demons have no compassion. They would like nothing more than to see the whole of mankind wiped out from the face of the earth. It's only God's love for the world that keeps them from doing exactly that. The events we're reading about will happen within three and a half years of this first seven-year period. And verse 2 says this, The sun and the sky were darkened by the smoke of the abyss, and out of the smoke locusts came down upon the earth and were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. And they were told not to harm the grass of the earth, nor any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were not given power to kill, but only to torture them for five months. And so five months could mean five months. It could mean a few months. It could mean a short time. I read one commentary where it said the life cycle of a locust is five months. Maybe it's the life cycle of a locust. But it's curious that we have locusts. And what locusts would bring to John's mind is the total destruction of the greenery of the land. They would go through an area and devour everything in sight. And there was no way to stop them, no cure to speak of. You just had to wait until they ate everything, moved on, and then plant again. And when locusts go through an area, there's nothing green left. And yet the plague here touches nothing of the greenery and so the locusts are not locusts instead they're given power like scorpions to affect men who are not sealed by god and so the inhabitants of the world are going to get sick really sick for a short period of time there are a whole lot of things that could cause this and again what we're seeing in this is still the mercy of god he's still trying to get people to repent In their misery, he's hoping that they will seek him, as Hosea said. He's trying to get them to repent because what is coming is not only worse, but it's eternal. 
And when we see the abyss open, it means that God is turning evil loose in the world, demons in the world, and they will be held back somewhat. Futurists can visualize this being a number of diseases that are eventually cured, disease caused by biological war, diseases caused by radiation. However, I'm not concerned with that. But what I see and what I want you to see is the love and the mercy of God for all humankind. And the reason I'm not concerned is these things will not affect the people of God. God doesn't judge the righteous and the wicked alike. Because God is trying to call sinners to repentance. Remember, the book opened with this. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy and those who hear and they are blessed. They're not going to be blessed because they know every detail of what's going to come. They're going to be blessed because they will understand the love God has for those who turn to him. And not just that, the love that he has and the compassion he has for the whole of humankind. And he keeps on calling them because he doesn't want them to be lost. I want to read from the book of Joel next because he sees the same thing in chapters 1 and 2. He speaks of an invasion of locusts and the destruction they cause And immediately following what we have in the book of Joel, immediately after he covers all of this, we have a call to repentance again. Listen to what it says. Consecrate a fast. Proclaim a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all the living in the land to the house of Adonai, your God, and cry to Adonai. Okay, this phrase to a first century Jew or to any Jew, consecrate a fast and call a solemn assembly is going to take them to God's festival of Yom Kippur. The theme of that festival is repentance. And it's a fast. And it's a time when Jewish people repent. And so it's a call to repentance. And then in chapter 2. We begin with this account. That's very similar to Revelation. Blow the shofar in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the living in the land tremble. For the day of Adonai is coming. Surely it is near. A day of darkness and gloominess a day of clouds and thick darkness as blackness spreads over the mountains. A great and mighty people from antiquity. There was never anything like it, nor after it, never again from generation to generation. A fire devours before them and behind them flame blazes up. Like the Garden of Eden is the land before them and behind them a desolate wilderness. Nothing at all ever escapes them. Their appearance is like that of the appearance of horses. They gallop like war horses. And when he's done speaking of this destruction, here's what Joel says at the end of chapter 2. He says, even now, it's a declaration of Adonai. Turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping and lamenting. Rend your heart and not your garments. And turn to Adonai your God. For he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abundant in mercy, and relenting about the calamity due. And so here again in Joel, we're seeing much the same thing as we see in the book of Revelation. And we're seeing much the same reason God is calling his people to repentance. And we see that Joel sees and he speaks of the mercy of God at work in the world with these things. Because the world would not listen to the good news. Because the world thought the good news was foolishness. The Holy One sounds trumpets of alarm, hoping that some would change their minds and turn to him. And now the thing that's interesting is that it doesn't harm those with the seal of God. And I want you to keep that on a back burner as we go through all these things. And remember that. Verse 5 says, 
And the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of a scorpion when it strikes a man. During those days, men will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. And so again, what we're seeing is suffering in hopes that in their misery, they're going to turn to God. But we don't see death. The intensity of the suffering is just increasing. Why? Because God, in his mercy, wants to see these sinners turn to him. Verse 7. And the locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. On their heads they wore something like crowns of gold, and their faces resembled human faces. Their hair was like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. Again, these are the same things. I didn't read all of the book of Joel because of time, but I encourage you to read Joel chapters 1 and 2. You're going to see that these are the same things that he speaks about happening. And then in verse 10 it says, They had tails and stings like scorpions, and in their tails they had power to torment people for five months. They had as king over them the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek Apollyon. Let's read about this Abaddon. A place of destruction. It's mentioned in the wisdom literature of the Bible. It's also in the New Testament, Revelation. However, here it's per the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Greek. And so, it's, remember it said, it spoke of Psalm 88. I want to read that, verse 11 and 12. You will work wonders for the dead, or will the departed spirits offer? 15, verse 10. Stern die, shun, are before. Abaddon is not a place you want to go for vacation. As we saw in Luke, it's not a place where even the demons worse. He limits what they can do. Verse 12. The first place coming horns of the golden altar that is before God. And so now here in this instance that week, and again, this is embodied of the prayers of the righteous. However, this from the altar of the righteous, we've been through five trumpet blasts, each a call to wake up. They've caused hardship, suffering to the people of this age and we're going to get the sixth trumpet blast and we found that with each blast it was getting more severe and this trumpet blast is going to be very severe 14 it said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet release the four angels who are bound at the great river euphrates and the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour day month and year will release to kill a third of mankind. God is releasing these angels that have been bound for this moment. And as we're going to read in a moment, they're going to bring about a great army. And that army is going to kill a third of mankind. And we would naturally think, well, how does this reveal mercy of God to what he has for six years? So they do what they're about to done to call him. At the Exodus, however, if we go to the book Amos, we find Adonai just the same this time. Listen to what Amos 6. So also, I myself have given you clean city, and of bread in all your life. To get Israel, when three months remained to the harvest, I caused it to rain on one city, while another city I sent no rain. One piece of well then would with so or staggering to drink water would not, yet you have not declares he's withheld the water hoping they would and i find it interesting that it's, it rained on some so assume, uh, but he did hold rain from the cities whose people were 
living by his standards. But the others, he held the rain to them to repent. So, I struck you with blight and mildew. Any of your gardens and vineyards, your fig trees acting with Israel. Verity as well. I among you a plague of Egypt. I hear you by the sword and with in captivity. I made the stench of your camp rise up even on nostrils. Yet you have declares Adonai. And so he sends plague out of Egypt. He sends to slay young like God in Revelation. They have and finally, in verse, he said, I as God overthrew Sodom and firebrand snatched phrase yet to me declares Adonai. Here's the point. He did these so that they would return, not turn. They did not repent. And it sounds very much like what we're reading about in Revelation, only on a smaller scale. He's asking the people to return to him before destruction comes to the city. So while we see the judgment of God, but in the judgment of God, we also see the mercy of God. In his mercy, his judgments come at ever-increasing severity. Well, now in the book of Revelation, we're at right now, we're coming to the same as we read in Amos, I stand board, and with your chariot horse captivity. Just one more thing before we move on, because God something the people in these congregations would have remembered. It has to make sense to the people that get the letter. Blessing. But great river cities, and they said this huge army, would have kinds. The great was the land of the Parthians, Rome. You know, we think of a powerful nation for a century. We always think of because it's a hard hand of, however, there's another nation that people, and the, the only thing, these two river ladies, and to get wanted nothing to spear them. The point fighter, whom even as well, everybody, and I have that in mind. So Rome fell in fear of the armies of the. If we were future, the fact that China with the and now with China becoming this huge threat to the world with his huge army, I would see if I were a futurist, I would see the army in Revelation as the Chinese army, but I'm not a futurist, so. The number of the mounted troops was 200 million. That sounds like the Chinese army, doesn't it? 200 million. I heard their number. The horses and riders I saw in my vision looked like this. Their breastplates were fiery red, dark blue, and yellow as sulfur. The heads of the horses resembled the heads of lime fire. Third of build by fire, smoke, and soft mouths. The power of their mouth and in the tails, head with which they inflict injury. So again, I'm going to try to identify. To point out that this brings about death with third. So now it's really good. And this is, remember, this is just like war. Certainly we have the power in the world today. Remember those four horsemen that rode the world at the, they were given to make men famine and plague with of humankind. But even at that, worth of a humankind, it would have been major time. It will be those, the people seal of God on, because they judge the righteous and the wicked alike. Now, listen to this, because the people want to tell you that multitudes of sinners are going to... How many have heard that? That a lot of people are going to come to faith in God during this time. Um, I know that's one of the first things that I heard when I came to... Oh, this, this is a time when all people are going to turn to God. But that's not what Revelation tells us. In verse 20, it says, The rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not... Stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver and bronze, stone and wood, idols that cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. Now, all of these wicked that were killed by these things, and it says still the rest, those that were not killed, did not repent 
And I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like many people anywhere are going to repent. I don't see multitudes coming to faith in God. I see multitudes not repenting. And I think we can see this in the world today because, you know, they took the Bible out of the schools many, many years ago. Most people don't even know about, don't know about God because they've never read the Bible. They've never heard anything about the Bible in public schools. And so things are, are getting darker. Now, the amazing thing to me is that a third of the population of the world is killed and the people of God are unaffected. The rest of the people see this and they're really unmoved. They don't repent. And this is amazing to me. The other thing that amazes me is that we're going to find as we continue that these plagues are being brought to the world by two witnesses in the temple. They are being told that the God of Abraham is going to do this. Just like Moses went to Pharaoh and said, God is going to do this. And these witnesses are telling them this and still they don't return. And here's why. This is what I believe anyway. There's a degree that you can fall from which there's no return. And that's the difference between a sinner and the wicked. The sinner still has a chance to repent. There's still hope, but the wicked, their hearts are so seared that there's really no hope. And what we're being told here is that by this point, the rest of mankind is so seared to the degree that they will not return. And so remember last week we talked about the three categories of people on the earth. The righteous who are sealed for the day of judgment, the wicked who are sealed for their judgment, and finally we had the intermediate or the sinners who were given time to repent. Well, it would appear to me by this time we're down to two large categories, the righteous and the wicked, and on a smaller scale we have a few sinners with a chance to repent. And notice that's not many. In fact, if we believe the words here, not any repented. So where are the multitudes people say are going to come to the Lord during this time? Well, there aren't any. At this point, and with this trumpet, we're midway through this seven-year period. And so remember it said, and they did not repent of their murders, their magic arts, and their sexual immorality, or their thefts. Now, where it says magic arts and witchcraft, the Greek word there is pharmakia, and it's where we get our word pharmacy. So drugs are going to be prevalent. And there's little return from drug use. Once you get addicted, many people die in their addiction. And that's why it's associated with witchcraft, because once it gets a hold of you, very few people are really healed. You'll always be prone to return. It's a spell that gains control over you. It's something that only the Holy One, only Yeshua, can cure you of. And if he cures you of it, then you're cured indeed. Again, anything that can gain control over you is what's spoken of here. It says sexual immorality. And that too is something that's seldom cured. There are spirits that get a hold of a person and uh, make it hard, if not impossible, to repent. And Paul speaks of these things. He warns the Corinthians against these things. He says, you say for me, everything is permitted. Maybe, but not everything is helpful. For me, everything is permitted. Maybe, but as far as I'm concerned, I'm not going to let anything gain control over me. Food is meant for the stomach and stomach for food. Maybe, but God will put an end to both of them anyway. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. He says something very similar in the book of Galatians. 
The acts of the sinful nature are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, and orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. They will not because they'll never repent. The term for witchcraft there again is pharmakia, and what God is describing for us is things that gain control over a man. And so we can think of it as exactly that, those things that control a man. They have a spell. That's why it's called witchcraft. You actually have a spell like worked over you. Demons take control of your lives. There's many things that you can do in life that will allow demons to take control of your life. And so we can think of it as anything that controls a man. Bad stuff, bad news, because it really can be a one-way street. And that's what we're seeing here with people not repenting. They've engaged in these things that are really a one-way street. And they're so far gone that there's no repentance left for them. So we'll leave off here for this week. This is the end of chapter 9.